You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis, a faith community that welcomes, affirms, and protects the light in each human heart, listens deeply to where love is calling us next, and with humility, courage, and compassion works to create a more just world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Come sing a song with me. Come sing a song with me. Come sing a song with me. Come sing a song with me that I might know. And I'll bring you hope. And I'll bring you hope when hope is hard to find. And I'll bring a song. Come dream a dream with me. 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 That I might know you. And I'll give you hope and I'll bring you hope when hope is hard to find. And I'll bring a song. As the world around us sometimes scrambles to panic over where we've wound up and where we've yet to arrive, we are choosing this moment to calm down, to unify, to organize around the call of love. We are giving our isolation a break and resting for a while in the warmth of common purpose. We are putting down our hidden weapons, picking up the courage to tell the truth to each other and look each other in the eye and love with an infectious, unexempting love. 
we are getting serious about joy and about laughter and singing and kindness and unity because within them lies more power to change the world for good than division ever could hold. We mean to mean something to this day which has come to mean life for us. So welcome to church. Welcome to First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. If you have come expecting perfection, I encourage you duly to change your mind. But if you have come to find a place with a people who want to build a community where no one is too young, too old, too queer, too hetero, too black, too brown to matter, too white to get woke, too wealthy, too poor, too disabled to lead our common journey, too ineloquent to have a voice, too timid to make a difference that shakes the status quo, then you have found just the place. Love is alive here and growing in our hearts and in our hands. And our love is excited to make room for every single one of us here and beyond. Come, let us celebrate. Let us choose the truth and joy. Let us comfort and keep each other for a while. And may the power of what we realize in this hour come to heal us and move with us into the wider world. Put all our pettiness to sleep and awaken the fullness of our compassion instead. So may it be among us. Let us gather for worship. Hey! Those friends among us uh, who begin the season of Ramadan and those, um, those beyond us who begin the season of Ramadan to you, we wish a blessed beginning, Ramadan Mubarak. May your course of fasting, may your course uh, in the search for peace and spiritual depth be a fruitful one. Let us begin now, as we often begin worship, by noticing that we breathe, by settling our bodies, selves, and by breathing three times together. I welcome you to breathe in and out and in and out and in and out. May the sound and the silence of this next hour come to bless us and through us bless the world and the time in which we live. We continue to open ourselves to worship by lighting the symbol of Unitarian Universalism all around the world and across time, the chalice cup with the flame. And Amelia will help us to light the chalice and I welcome you to join in the words we use as a covenant with each other. Together, let us say, love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Thank you.
and thank you. So I have to tell you, it was amazing to walk into the building this morning and have the, I think it's the second through fifth graders who were sleeping over last night and the parents. So they're still here as they want you to know. <laughs> it felt so good to come in and see all of you and to see the joy on your faces and the community around the table down in the social hall. It's so good to get to be together in person here at church. I have to tell you that it was about 11 years ago, almost, when I moved to Minneapolis and came to serve this congregation, and it was 2012, which seems like a complete other lifetime ago. I was arriving here, I was 38 years old, which also feels like a lifetime ago, with two little kids, leaving a congregation that I had loved in New York, arriving here, new community, new place. My mother had just died. We were selling my childhood home. And I remember calling the person who had become my spiritual director, someone who would companion me through the years and who it turns out I've had these monthly phone calls with ever since. And she asked me, what are you wanting out of this time together? And I said, I just want to notice. Everything is going by so fast. I know all of these things are important and big, but I can't seem to slow down enough to really pay attention and to have an idea of what's moving in my life and what is happening. And she said, great, we'll pay attention together. I'll listen, I'll notice, we'll pay attention to your life together. And she reminded me that across generations, traditions, all, all different ways of life, whether it's environmentalists noticing nature or poets writing for all time, folks have said that paying attention is a form of prayer. Paying attention is a sacred act. And we pay attention not just to our own lives, but to each other's lives as well. It's one of the things that, for me, was really missing when we were so isolated and alone. I was missing what happens when you come into a community and someone says, hey, your hair's different, or hey, I noticed that you grew, or wow, you look more like yourself today. You seem more at ease. I miss that reflecting we do for each other. It's hard to do it when you're all by yourself. I mean, sometimes you notice, and kids, you might have had this experience where like, you're going along and going along, and then one day you look down and your pants are like way too short. That happens, or over the course of the pandemic, I definitely had times when I looked in the mirror and I was like, how did my hair get that long, right? So there are ways we can pick up on it, but really, this paying attention, it matters to do it both as individuals and as a community. Paying attention is a sacred act to our lives, to the movement in our lives, to each other, to our community. So today, during this time when we're all together, all ages together, we're going to practice paying attention. Because after all, it is sacred to pay attention to ourselves and to each other. So we're going to start maybe with something that we can all kind of see or notice together. What changes have happened in this church over the last three years? Holy cow, there are a lot of them. So we can start with one. I'm going to make my way down this accessible ramp <laughs> that welcomes everybody up to the chancel to lead, which is pretty awesome. And 
we're going to look at some pictures together. So if we could see a couple of pictures to help us remember a little bit about what things have been like. New carpet, hallelujah. Um, so this is from probably at least four years ago, if not longer, but you'll see the way the chancel and the sanctuary used to appear, right? The yellow carpet, you can see that, the pews up front. We've got Lauren and Reverend Elaine and Reverend Karen, who's right here, yes, yes. We've got Reverend Justin and me and Reverend Ruth, and we've got the congregation, right? This is what it used to be like in this space. Can we see another one together? Here's our social hall, right? This is what it used to look like downstairs. This was a daytime connections gathering. Must have been around December with a Christmas tree in the back, right? And the stage, remember that? All right, let's see one more. Oh. <laughs> this, I will tell you, is the first Sunday leading worship on Zoom uh, in the old Cummins room downstairs. So you can see there used to be a little platform there, but we've got myself and Jen Stromberg, who's back there, Jeff Sylvester, my daughter Kate, who's now a giant compared to that, um, us figuring out how to suddenly switch onto online-only worship back in March of 2020. Let's have another one. And remember, over the course of the pandemic, we went and worshiped together wherever we could find a space where we could be safely together outside. So here we are at Minnehaha Falls for a Youth Sunday with Amy Bryant leading us in song and Lauren and Emma and Arif and Franco and those of us who were there gathered out in the beautiful air. <laughs> How about another one? Oh, here we are saying goodbye to Reverend Ruth on her retirement outside. All the ways we had to do that together. What else? One more. Here's the sanctuary under construction with putting the pews back in, it looks like, constructing the chancel with that new ramp, new carpet, new sound, new light, new paint. Looks different. So these are just a few. We can take those down now. What else is different? I want to hear from you all. What is different than it was three years ago? The chandelier downstairs in the social hall is different, wildly different. Yeah. Nice catch. So the Cummins room used to be down a level in the religious education wing. And if you're in the elevator, it still tells you to go down to that floor to get to the Cummins room, even though now it's on the, on the main floor, right? So a lot of things are different. The people in the pews are different. The people leading worship are different. The way worship feels sometimes is different. One of the things that made me laugh when I saw those pictures is, I think it's the one where we're leading Zoom worship. I'm wearing the same shirt. <laughs> So not everything is different. Uh, Stole's different. Uh, so much has changed. So much is changing. It matters to stop and pay attention to that, to notice, to mourn, to make room. What's changed in your life or in your family's life? What's different than three years ago? Had a baby. Had a baby. You had two babies. <laughs> I have teenagers now. 
I didn't before this. <laughs> you got a new one? A dog. The dog died and you got a new dog. Thank you. Thank you. It's hard to hear all the good things coming. What else happened? I got not, I can't hear it. <laughs> Our kids left. Right? We've lost loved ones. Our parents came. Right? So many things have changed. So I want you to allow yourself to notice these changes, whether they're here, whether they're in your own life, your family life, our community life. So many things are different than they were before. My, my kids will tell you that they will never again experience a snow day, and they mourn for the fact that kids younger than them won't even know what that means. <laughs> what do you have? You had what? He used to have curly hair. And he doesn't anymore. Wow. So this noticing, I have to tell you, back to that spiritual director of mine, in addition to paying attention together and noticing, one thing that she always says to me is, where is the movement? Where is the movement in your life, in the world around you? Because it's in the movement that you'll find the Spirit. She says, it's in movement that you'll find God, the Holy Octavia Butler, theologian, writer, God is change. So let's pay attention to what's moving, what is changing together, because paying attention is a sacred practice. We began our time together by paying attention to our breath. And there's a song that helps us to go a little deeper into that practice. And it starts with the words, breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. My friend Sarah Dan wrote this song for, for meditation. If you ever want to, um, if you ever want to really, really, really quickly be able to find that place of paying attention to your breath. This is a great way to do it. Give us, yeah. So there are several parts to this. You can pick one at any time and flip back and forth as you will or stay right where you are. That's perfectly fine. The first one goes like this. Breathe in, breathe out. Will you sing it with me? Breathe in, breathe out. Yes, breathe in, oh, breathe. One more time, breathe in, breathe. Listen. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, 
I breathe out love. One more time. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. Last time. When I breathe in, Somebody join me. When I, when I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out. One more time. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out. Okay. Okay, somebody take that first part. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. One more time. Breathe in, breathe out, oh, breathe in. Let's add the second part. In the spirit of noticing changes together, I'll just say out loud, we're moving, our prayer time will be a little later in the service, so change right now. Also, our kids are with us for the first half of the service every single week. That is very different than where we were three years ago. So many changes. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. 
when I breathe out, I breathe out love. I come here for so many reasons, but one of them is absolutely to be in rhythm with all of you, because I forget on my own the simple things that bring me back into settledness, into calm, into remembering who I am and to what I am committed, into our sense of interconnection. To be in the rhythms and patterns with you all helps me to settle down into myself, into this community of which we are all a part. Breathing in, breathing out, singing together, telling stories together, all of it, all of it helps me resettle. It's so much harder to do that all by myself. So I have to say, I am so glad to be back here with all of you. So glad for the time that I had away for rest and renewal and reflection, but also just so, so glad to be back with you all. If I'm honest, I can say that I noticed something was off in me about mid-January. Now, things had been hard for me before that. I'll tell you a little bit about all that's been going on. But it was mid-January. It was actually Remembrance Sunday. And I remember being here in church and thinking, whew, I am not where I want to be. I remember this because it was fairly dramatic for me, the noticing. And I had been trying all fall and winter to make adjustments to help me settle and resettle. I'd done all kinds of things, and they just weren't doing the trick. These smaller adjustments that felt huge at the time, turns out they weren't enough. I couldn't get settled and stay settled. And I was feeling more and more tightness in myself, both physically and spiritually. Just this tightening down. But my body, my trustworthy body, was communicating very clearly. You have to stop. You have to stop. This practice that we had been sharing together for years of three deep breaths, I couldn't remember to do it. The song that I had been singing in my head whenever I would get so, so tight, I couldn't even remember it. It's one we've sung together before. We'll sing it today, too. Loosen, loosen. Loosen, loosen. I couldn't remember it. As I'm saying the words to you right now, I can't remember the music to it. So I knew something was wrong. It was that Remembrance Sunday, and I had led the call to worship, and then I went and sat down in the pew right there, and as we started to recognize the names of folks that we had lost, I started crying, and I couldn't stop. The tears just kept flowing and flowing. I thought, thank God I don't have to get back up there. And I also thought, wow, this is running really, really deep for me. I found that as I was sitting there crying, I wasn't able to wrap up that tender part of myself and then turn my attention back to the congregation the way that I am called to do. I was in this place of grief and sadness. And part of what I want to say is being in that place of grief and sadness is absolutely okay. It's absolutely a part of the rhythm of things, but it's important to notice it in ourselves 
and to take and make the space when we need to, to be able to really sit with it so that it can move in us. So it was that Sunday, I couldn't stop crying. I headed home and I thought, what will I do? Maybe I'll take a day off. Maybe two. Radical idea. I started talking to my family and friends, to my team of folks who care for me outside of this space, to my therapist and my spiritual director, my recovery community, all of those folks who know and can reflect back to me what they're seeing, what's changing. And they said, yeah, yeah, you need some time off. Um, How about six weeks? And I thought, that is impossible, improbable, not available. And then I talked to the leadership here, staff and board, and they all said, yeah, please go take that. Please go take that. That would be good. That's good modeling. That's a good way to go. And I know that this is not available to everyone. In fact, it's hardly available to anyone to have that space and time, whether it's to step away from paid work or caring for loved ones who are sick. Most of us don't have this opportunity ever, and I am aware of that and so, so grateful. And so grateful for this congregation that just, it doesn't just talk about how we should care for each other, but actually moves into doing it in some really countercultural ways. So thank you for this space. I needed that much time to be able to fully step back. And as soon as I knew that was happening, I could feel my body begin to soften, my shoulders going from like chronically up here to, you know, coming down a little bit. And I began to reflect more and more for me personally on what I know to be true collectively that rest is essential to all of us, but especially to those who live with their backs against the wall. That rest is essential not just for survival, but for thriving. The work of Tricia Hersey, the black author and theologian, reminds us of this again and again, that rest is resistance, especially in a culture based in capitalism and extraction and patterns of white supremacy. To stop, to pause, for many folks who are living with a legacy of exhaustion, for all of us who are wanting to live intentional lives of creativity and purpose and connection, to remember how to live in alignment with our deepest values, with each other, with the planet. It takes that pause. It takes that attention, that sacred attention. It's hard to connect with a person or a place or an idea if we're just zipping past all the time. If we run by in the morning or just glance for a second, what if we slowed down with enough space to pay attention, to connect, to appreciate? This time away was a time of resistance for me. A time of resisting the lessons I've, brought up, I've been brought up with in my family and in this culture. These lessons tell me that I should keep going no matter what. Put up a brave face. Look like everything is fine, even when it isn't. You certainly don't cry in front of people. Keep moving. That is what I have been taught over and over. From our broader culture that bigger and better to me. 
that emotion is only for the weak, especially for women and children. And if you're going to be a leader, you definitely don't show that as a woman. I was taught all of those things by our culture, by my family. And in my family in particular, I was taught some other things. See, I'm part of a first generation of kids to be born in America on my dad's side. They come from England, and they come from a culture that has deeply influenced me. It's a culture where emotion is rarely experienced, and it is certainly not shared. It is a very tight culture, at least what I was growing up in. Tears were something that were only shown in private and only rarely. The expression of mild displeasure from my grandmother would be equal to screaming rage in another culture. <laughs> you were buttoned up, literally, whether you had survived the bombing of London or years as a POW or harassment at school. You did not talk about it. You did not feel about it. So there I was back in January crying in public, for God's sake, and unable to stop. I needed space and support, and I knew that I could rely on this congregation to do what it has been doing for years, for generations, to help each of us and us collectively move out of, I've got this, I have to take care of this myself, into we've got this, we do this together which makes room for many of us to move in and move out, to take shifts for the revolution, as Reverend Ashley Haran says, to move in, to move out, to give and receive and grow together, to learn how to trust that when we all share what we need, we all have what we need. This is countercultural stuff. So I rested, and this is what happened for me. The biggest thing that came out of it for me is that I realized that I had been living in crisis mode for a solid three years. Maybe some of you can relate to this. I'd been living in full-on crisis mode for three years. It takes different shapes for each of us but some of the things we all experience together in our own particular ways. A global pandemic, everything changing, be it school or work or church, our social connections or then suddenly lack thereof, all the ways we found community shifted, boom. George Floyd's murder, and the racial justice uprisings that followed. The awareness more and more that we are living in a human-made climate crisis, in an era of emergencies, as the writer Barry Lopez says. Things have shifted into this crisis after crisis after crisis mode. Some of those, like I said, communal. Some of the experiences of the last three years or whatever the right time frame is for you have been personal. For me, it was parenting two kiddos doing online school and all of a sudden no social or athletic outlets with only their, their only connections being over the internet. What? 
There was living with and supporting a partner who worked in healthcare during the pandemic. And then, unbelievably to me, one after another in the midst of it all, first my father, then my brother, then both of my mentors diagnosed with aggressive, supposedly terminal cancers, one after the other. And there I was, trying to grieve and care for them and go back and forth to opposite coasts. I know you have done some of these very same things, and you know what it's like to hold that. Then there's, what in the world does church mean now? What is church even like now? It's not the same as it was beforehand. We're a multi-platform. What does that even mean? How do we even do that? Beloveds are not here with us anymore. Things are shifting and moving. Our building is renovated. Out in the larger culture, whatever it means to be a faith community is shifting tremendously. For most faith communities, attendance has fallen off a cliff and kids are not coming anymore. Clergy and congregation, clergy are just leaving in droves, the profession entirely. Churches and communities are closing down. What is church now? These changes, some of them are welcome and wanted for some of us, and many of them are ones we wish had not happened and we wish we could go back. But here we are. So, realizing that I'd been living in a state of emergency for three years, I was reflecting with a friend, and she shared some words that have been helpful for her. She said, you know, I've been trying to realize that this is not a crisis. This is my life. This isn't a crisis. This is your life. This, all of this, whatever it is, whatever the circumstances, this is it. This is the stuff. So I go right to, well, what am I going to make out of that? You know, like, how do I, what, do, what choices do I want to make? How can I line that up? Where's my spreadsheet? This is the new thing. <sighs> Stop. Pay attention. There's a lot that's been lost. A lot of expectations of how things were going to be, what was steady that are gone. Hold on. Don't move too fast. So this is the practice that I've been in and I'm inviting you to try with me, which is how to stop and pause. Whatever way that can take shape in your life, how can you pay attention for yourself, communally, collectively? How can we pay attention to stop and name and notice what is different, what's been lost, what expectations we had that don't fit anymore, to slow it down. For me, I've been intentionally moving from sprint into marathon mode. And not marathon like, you know, an event. Marathon like my life, like our life. We're lucky, I feel lucky, I'll say, to be here right now. I feel so grateful to be in this congregation with you, to be in my life with all the changes, even the ones I never wanted. I am so glad to be right here. So how do I, how do we pace ourselves, take the intentional 
rest that we need to move past survival and into active resistance to the ways that can pull us right back into their grooves. If I'm not paying attention, I can go right back into the grooves of white supremacy culture, of moving too fast, of thinking I'm the only one, that things have to be perfect, that it's important most of all for me as a white person to be comfortable. But when I slow down and pay attention, I can notice that and I can say, nope, I'm just gonna put that over here. So how this moving from crisis to life. The other thing I heard and have been paying attention to while I was away is a number of folks who are dear to me have lost loved ones very close to them over the course of the pandemic. Folks my age or a little older that have suddenly become widows, folks that have lost loved ones that were so dear. And as they've been moving through their grieving process, one of them framed it up for me this way. She was saying that becoming a widow has had a three-year kind of process that she's noticing. Year one, survival. Just straight-up survival. Year two, existing. Just existing. Year three, this is my life now. Going from survival to this is my life. And think about this for us as individuals, as a community, as a collective. Where are we in this arc of going from surviving to living? How do we make that journey? How do we give ourselves enough space to know that it takes time? This whole thing about time taking time I hate it so very much. I want the hard parts to go fast, to glean the learning as much as I can, and then to move right on. But it's too fast. There's this image that I've been holding with me. Uh, this is going to be like a game of telephone, so forgive me that the story is getting translated multiple times to arrive here. But a wise person in my life was telling me the story that comes out of Sylvia Pereira's work. She's a Jungian analyst, and it's a story about gaining wisdom and then how to live with it. And what I remember of this story is that to gain the insight and the wisdom, a person has to travel down inside of a mountain, starting at the top and making that spiral journey all the way down to the bottom. When they arrive there, they'll be granted the wisdom that they were seeking. Might not be what they wanted, but the insight will come. And what was noticed over the years is that the impulse of the person who's traveled all the way down is then to take that knowledge and run back up and tell everybody about it and do all the things they thought of, and then it's gone. That knowledge has dissolved. So they put in place something different. So folks would go down, 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 receive the wisdom, and then as they headed up, they would meet these folks at way stations who would literally and lovingly force them to rest. 
you'd go up a bit, be forced to rest there with love surrounding you. Go up a little bit further, rest. Let that wisdom and that learning settle, integrate, become a part of you so that when you reach community again, you can bring it with you in all of its fullness and it's not shakable. It's in there. This slowing down, this paying attention, it's part of the spiritual life in any of the ways that we can. It's part of what we do at church. We pause here. We pause here to notice. A colleague of mine once wrote that it's at church that we do this the best. At church, we pause to rest for a while, to rest for a moment, she said, on the forming edge of our lives, to resist the headlong tumble into the next moment until we can claim for ourselves awareness and gratitude, taking the time to look into one another's faces to know each other and see their communion. This is what we are about today. And I'm going to start to move us into our time of prayer, our time of practice, of meditation and naming together. We're going to practice together noticing what has been changing for us, what is different, and to sit with it. But first, we're going to welcome our bodies into that. We're going to remember together that song that loosen, loosen, to help us drop down. Loosen, loosen, baby, you don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. Loosen, loosen, baby, you don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. So much is different. So much has changed. We remember what our kids and we named at the beginning of this service. We bring back to mind those pictures, other pictures we have in our own head and heart, memories of how it was, acknowledging what has changed. We remember that we can loosen Loosen, loosen, baby, you don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. You were given pens and paper on your way into the service today. This is a time to write down some words, to draw a picture if you want, 
something on this paper that symbolizes a loss you have experienced, a change, maybe something that you have to move into saying goodbye to. Whatever it is, whether you wanted or welcomed these changes or losses or not, I invite you to put a word or an image about them on that paper. And then if you would like to come forward and we're gonna lay them out on the chancel together. You can fold them up if you don't want people to see what you wrote, that's just fine. You can lay it out for us to witness together. And am I right, this is dissolving paper. So we're gonna hold them for a week and then dissolve them together next week. So this is a holding, a noticing. Loosen, loosen, baby, you don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. Loosen, loosen, baby, you don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. Loosen, loosen, baby. You don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. Loosen, loosen, baby. You don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. Loosen, loosen, baby. You don't have to carry and bones. Let go, let go, let go. Loosen, loosen, baby. You don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. Loosen, loosen, baby, you don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. Loosen, loosen, baby, you don't have to carry
space together, we pause, we recognize the weight of all we've been carrying, we notice together, and we pay attention to the cycles of life that continue to turn for us all. We hold in our hearts today all those impacted by tornadoes yesterday, by the weather emergencies that have been happening and continue to happen, where lives are uprooted and changed forever in a moment, where our planet is calling out in despair. We give thanks for the passing of the Trans Refuge Bill here in Minnesota. That this might be a place of safety, of care, of deep acknowledgement of each other. We notice together the joys, the sorrows, the losses that we hold individually and collectively. And we take time now to say out loud, if we wish, the names of those who are in our hearts. For all of this and so much more, together we pray that the grip of addiction might be loosened, that the weight of oppression might be lightened, that grief might be shared, that joy might break through, and that love might make every suffering bearable for us all. Holy breath and holy name, help me, help me ease this pain. Holy breath and holy name, help me, help me ease this pain. 
It is good to have Jen back, right? Loosen. She helps us all settle into loosening. One of the other people who helped me settle into loosening when I first arrived here is Shelley Desilet. I spoke to her on Zoom for a number of reasons. And within about 30 seconds, I was like, ah, this is a good one. This is one who reminds me that this is a good place to be. I don't know, how many of you have had that experience with Shelly? Something like that? Yeah. So will you come up here, my friend, and share with us a little bit about this community as we move into our annual giving season? Thank you. Reverend Ashley, um, I will say from my part that uh, having that conversation with Reverend Ashley made me feel like, oh, there you are. One of those friends for life that you uh, knew that you met before, but uh, can't remember where. It's good to see you again. I'm Shelley Desilet. Uh My pronouns are any offered in respect. Good morning. First Universalist has been many things to me since I first attended some 15 years ago. My partner had been a member for years before we met, had brought her kids to RE, and she was now sharing this church community with me. First, it was a place that welcomed me just as I was. I mean, they specifically offered welcome to those of different sexual orientations and those in the recovery community. I'd been named and I felt welcome. I joined the choir, found a way to contribute that way. And as I took in more and more sermons and lessons and readings and connections, it became clear that this was a place where I could wander through the spiritual state of my soul, and I learned to do so with curiosity and not judgment. I decided to become a member, and as I and my fellow new members stood up here and the congregation was asked to welcome us, I felt this overwhelming love with the resounding, we do. I joined my first small group, and there I learned to settle myself and listen deeply. This was a new practice to me. I would need a lot of practice. Out of that first group was born an intergenerational friend connection that continues to this day, some 14 years later. We meet monthly for lunch to talk over our lives and how it is with our souls. I said yes when I was asked to lead a small group of my own it would be the first of many. So many wonderful connections were formed in those gatherings, and I treasure being able to create those spaces for others. Eventually, the work of both the church and the greater community made it possible for my partner and I to be married legally, and we were over the moon to be able to hold our wedding and celebration right here. A friend who attended mentioned to me, yes, yes, yes that is applause, yes. 
A friend who attended the wedding had spoken to a couple of people while she was here, and uh, she mentioned to me how amazing it was to have a church that was so open and welcoming and focused on an individual spiritual journey rather than any specific dogma. I mean, (laughs) this was a wedding. This was not first step. (laughs) Y'all make me so proud. This sanctuary and this community were also the ones that held us as we cried and shared stories and grieved the death of our son, who was a youth of this church. The unimaginable had happened, and here was where we could come. We could take our first tentative steps in this new reality among you and be held and loved as we walked this unbidden path, which was just six months before the entire world stopped for us all to try to be safe from COVID. Yes, First Universalist has been many things to me since I first attended. It has been a container for my great joy and for my deepest sorrow. It has become a home of music and learning and friendship and love. But none of these reasons are the reasons why I support First U with a sustaining pledge. I give because I have hope for how this church community will work on those who gather within and those in the greater community in the years ahead. And that's also why I took the time to participate in the visioning work, to explore and know my own heart on the topic of how that future church will show up and to learn from others how they see it. The visioning work is my promise to that future church community, and my pledge is that hope made tangible. Thank you. This morning, we have not only the opportunity to consider our annual gifts, but also to partner with Augsburg Fairview Academy our longtime partner that offers teen-friendly and family-friendly schooling, where all are deeply respected, and where all are held among those who consider first their strengths as they help them to succeed. Let us receive our morning offering now.
gonna work out fine Everything's gonna be alright It's gonna be okay Cause I can see the light of a clear blue morning I can see the light of a brand new day I can see the light of a clear blue morning Everything's gonna work out fine Everything's gonna be alright, it's gonna be okay. It's been a long, long time since I've known the taste of freedom. Had me bound, well, I don't need them. I don't need them. I've been like a captured eagle. You know, an eagle's born to fly. Well, now that I've found my freedom, like an eagle. Everything's gonna be alright, it's gonna be okay. I can see the light of a clear blue morning. I can see the light of a brand new day. I can see Let's pause in the noticing. Pause in the noticing and pay attention.
today and tomorrow and all week long. And let's notice, too, that we've got this together. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you've been comforted or inspired by this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org slash donate to make your gift. We'd love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.